Well, good morning, friends. Welcome again to the Digital Gathering. So good to be together. My name is Steve, and I'm the lead pastor here at Discovery. I want to begin this part of our gathering with these words from the New Testament letter, 1 Corinthians. And now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Today marks the end, believe it or not, of our year together. This is the last of our Sunday morning gatherings for 2020. It's the end of a long, long, exhausting year. Are you with me? <laughs> for many of us, maybe for all of us, this year has been a crucible experience of sorts. A crucible, if you're not familiar with it, is a ceramic container in which you can heat up stuff like metal. It also, though, refers to a situation of severe trial in which different elements interact, leading to the creation of something new. I want to talk about a severe trial and then the creation of something new here for just a moment. I continue to contend that this experience, this living through a pandemic over the course of the year, you know, people have been using phrases like unprecedented, and there's truth to that phrase, but the underlying reality isn't the novelty of the situation, it's the intensity of this moment. What I mean by that is the, the things that have kind of come up for us that maybe we've been struggling with over the course of this year are, are things that were probably already there. And the pandemic and the restrictions and all the other challenges that have come along with that have only worked to amplify that thing. We've certainly seen this on a national level. This pandemic has amplified racial tension, political division, economic disparities. But we've also seen it at you know, personal, local levels too, right? Amplifying relational disconnection, loneliness, mental health challenges, unsustainable habits that we had in place when all of this went down. There are things that I thought I was pretty good at that the pandemic has revealed, mm, not really that good at it, and other things that I had no idea I could do, but this moment has revealed I can actually handle it. So I think rather than thinking of the pandemic 2020 as a random thing that has disrupted our lives, Maybe we need to look at it as a crucible. This revealing right through trial what is actually true about us and potentially, I don't know that we're there yet, but potentially leading to something new. Because this is what crisis can do. It reveals. And that revelation, it can be frightening, but it can also be liberating because the creation of something new through a crucible usually is a distillation of what is most important. This time has allowed us to revisit our convictions and recommit to what is actually important to us. I know for me, and I know in many of the conversations that I've been having with you and others, this year has really helped us see what are the things that we actually care about? What are the things that are most important to us? Now, this passage that we just read from 1 Corinthians, it's again a letter written to a church. This is a young church in a big city, a city that's full of what we would call alternative discipleship options. 
in Corinth, there are ways of being formed spiritually, economically, politically, all these different systems competing for people's attention. There were even different voices within the church competing for time and attention. So the Corinthian community, the Corinthian community of Jesus followers was a bit of a mess, pulled in a bunch of different directions. And so the writer Paul, in this letter, calls them back to what is most important, most foundational, the basics. These remain faith, hope, love, the greatest of which is love. In their crucible moment, and I think also in our crucible moment, Paul reminds them, Paul reminds us that the principle and foundation of reality is the love of God. The wide, high, vast love of God. Now keep that in mind as we flip over to Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or your phone, you can look up Luke chapter 1. We've been making our way through this Advent season backwards in the, the sort of origin stories of Jesus, right? Luke chapter 3 is where we started looking at this character, John the Baptist. Then we moved to chapter 2 and these wonderful old characters, Anna and Simeon. And then last week in chapter 1, we looked at the character of Elizabeth. Today, still in Luke chapter 1, we turn our attention to Mary. Mary, of course, who is the mother of Jesus. So I want to read a, a good chunk here. We're going to look at verses 26 through 38, and we'll talk about Mary for a moment as we wrap up the Advent season. So again, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named, named Joseph, a descendant of David. If you were with us this year, we spent a lot of time looking at David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Think about that for a minute. That's good news. Jesus' kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And then look at how Mary responds to all of this. I am the Lord's servant, she says. May your word to me be fulfilled and then the angel left her. Now there is so much about Mary that is commendable and worth talking about. Let's just point out a couple of things here. At a young age, she receives this life-changing promise from God, right? This incredibly disruptive moment where an angel comes and tells her that you are going to give birth to the Son of God, and you're going to give birth, you're going to become pregnant and give birth through this miraculous means. This leaves her troubled and wondering, and yet also 
faithful and receptive. Both things can be true at the same time. She will go through a crucible with this baby, a shameful pregnancy, a long, hard journey to Bethlehem, a very weird birth story involving a barn and animals and shepherds. Later, she will have to flee to Egypt to protect this baby from death. She'll go through all the ups and downs of motherhood with this boy, Jesus, seeing him at the temple, watching him grow, starting his ministry, challenging the religious establishment of the day. Ultimately, she'll be there at the end to watch her son die on a cross. Now, I have no doubt that Joseph played an important role in Jesus' development. Certainly, he taught Jesus the trade of carpentry, but it's Mary who keeps popping up throughout the story. We sing about God being a good father, and we pray, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. But Scripture also uses maternal images to describe God. Hosea describes God as a mama bear. The psalmist uses images of a mother bird gathering her, her chicks under her wings. Jesus himself uses that image in Matthew chapter 23. In Isaiah, God promises to comfort his people like a mother comforts her child's. Something powerful about the love of a mom. Sometimes I think we over-spiritualize Jesus to the point that we lose his humanity. But when we do that, we miss out on some of the beautiful truth and reality of Jesus being fully man. Not just fully God, but fully man. This truth that his mom loved him. And that love had to have shaped him and formed him in significant ways for all that was to come in his life. So Mary is a good gift to us because she incarnates, she puts flesh on this maternal love. This is important because when it comes to comprehending the vast, wide, high, deep love of God, we need all the help we can get. And so this is a beautiful picture of the way that God loves us. Because ultimately the Advent story is a love story and not just because Mary and Joseph are in love, not just because they love their son Jesus. It's a love story because of the cosmic stakes that are involved in this history altering moment. God coming to us. Emmanuel, God with us, God in human form, God in flesh and blood in the person of Jesus. Not just here to hang out, although certainly he did that, right? Going to meals with people, touching the untouchable, spending significant time in people's lives, but also to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the ultimate demonstration of God's love for us. Earlier, we, we read these words, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. Maybe for some of us, those words, we've heard them before. Maybe they're, they're, they're kind of background noise. We see that verse, John 3.16, held up at football games and other public places. But hear it again, freshly. 
God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. This is love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. This is love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Here is the great question that Advent asks of us. When you peel back all the layers, when you move past the trees and the lights and the presents, when you get right down to it, do you trust the deep, wide, vast love of God? In a year where we've been through a crucible, do you believe that underneath it all the foundation of the universe is love? That there is a God who loves you so much that he would go to any length to be with you. Now we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is where we get a passage of scripture that is often read at weddings. Let me read it for us. Love is patience. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogance. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Now again, we read those words at weddings a lot. I want us to think about a couple of the, the phrases that come from that, but through the lens of Jesus. Love is patient. Jesus, growing up, spending 30 years of his life on earth in non-ministry, right before he even gets started in public. Jesus, patient with people, patient with the disciples. Love, that passage says, isn't arrogant or rude. Jesus never uses his God credentials to benefit himself. In fact, he tries to keep that a secret as best he can. Love, that passage says, is not happy with injustice. Luke chapter 4, Jesus' first sermon recorded in the, in the book of Luke, Jesus preaches good news to the poor, freedom for the captives. Love delights in the truth. Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. Love endures all things. Jesus endures humiliation, suffering, and even death on a cross to make that sacrifice that deals with our sins. One more time from 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, Now we see a reflection in a mirror, then we will see face to face. And what he's talking about here is that moment when Jesus returns and makes all things right. This is part of what we anticipate and long for in this Advent season. Not just that Jesus has come, but that he will come Again, and in that point, we will see face to face. Paul says, now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way I have been completely known. Someday, we will know this love completely. But even now, even as we sit in this in-between time, longing for that day, even now we have glimpses, tastes, pictures of what that love is like. A mother with her son. 
these moments that give us a small idea of what God's love is like. And the ultimate picture, taste, glimpse that we get, of course, is Jesus himself. Jesus at meals with people. Jesus in a boat with his disciples. Jesus welcoming the children to him. Jesus on a cross. Jesus resurrected, but his body still has scars on it. Jesus, body and blood broken and poured out. The vast, high, wide love of God with flesh on. Jesus, God's Eucharist, God's good gift to us, given freely that we might have life and have it abundantly. We're going to close our time this morning the way we always do, gathering around the table, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. Again, God's good gift to us, remembering that Jesus has come, that he gave himself as a sacrifice to deal with our sins, but also that he is coming again. As we do this, as we take these elements, bread and wine, crackers and juice, whatever you may have with you this morning, and as we sing these final songs, may we reflect, bask in, enjoy the great love of God, the love that he has for us, demonstrated most clearly in the person of Jesus. Let me pray and then we'll take communion and sing together. Heavenly Father, as we near the end of Advent season, as we anticipate Christmas coming later this week, we pause here in this moment to reflect on the good gift, the Eucharist, the Eucharist, Jesus' body, Jesus' blood given freely for us as that passage says, to deal with our sin, not just so that we can live guilt-free, but so that we can live in right relationship with you, that we may live in right relationship with others, that we may experience the abundant with God life that you offer us. I pray this morning for anyone who is uh, a part of this gathering, who maybe has not accepted the gift of that love yet, God, may they have the courage to open to that and receive that gift today. And for all of us, wherever we might be, to remember that underneath it all, the foundational truth of our universe is love, is the reality that you love us and you sent your son Jesus to be with us. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.